as you're seated. Trivia question. Joe just read the first miracle that Jesus did in his ministry. It's recorded in the book of John. Anybody know how many miracles there are in the book of John? I'm going to guess the answer will surprise you. How many miracles in the book of John? Whole book. What do you think, buddy? No idea. That was my son. I, what, what was going to be surprising to me is if he didn't know it. He is really sharp. Anybody have, ever thought of through that? There are a grand total of, are you ready for this? Nine miracles in the entire book of John. Think about that. Nine. Count them on two hands. We think of Jesus, and, and the first thing usually that pops to our mind is all the different miracles. This morning in the kids' Sunday school, we were talking about Elisha. We'll actually be there in two weeks um, where they're at right now in Sunday school. And it was about a miracle. That seems to be kind of what we hearken back to in our kids' days. In the entire Bible, the entire Bible, cover to cover, anybody know how many miracles there are? Between 180 and 190. 2,000 page book. And we think of all these works of God, and there are between 180 and 190 miracles. Now, that's, it's kind of hard to count because he healed 10 lepers one time. Was that one miracle or 10? That's, I counted that as one, just for the record. But I want you to hear this passage out of the end of the book of John. We're going we're gonna to get back to 2 Kings. Don't worry, we're, we're going there. You, it'll make sense here in a minute. This is the kind of introduction my wife hates. I'm going I'm to like circle a little bit, all right? So eventually I will get into a landing pattern. We'll get there, but, but just track with me. This is the end of the book of John. We just read the first of the book of John. Let's go to the end. This is John 21, uh, chapter t- or verse 24. It says, this is the disciple, this is John telling about himself, this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things and we know his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written down, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So did Jesus do bunches of miracles? Oh, absolutely. As a matter of fact, the book of Mark has about 43, 44 miracles in it. So he, he did lots of miracles. But even all the miracles that God did aren't recorded. And, and over the span of time, again, we're talking 180 to 190 miracles. And, and as we looked at 1 Kings, and as I was kind of praying through this, um, and you'll see it's, there's some unusual stories, um, kind of odd stories here. We're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 3 and 4, and we've been walking through, if you're new with us, um, the books of First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, and they tell the story of Israel as a political entity. And we're kind of coming to the end, so to speak. Um, the, the political entity of Israel is about to dissolve. It's already split into two, and today that kind of comes into play. There's a northern kingdom, there's a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom had all horrible kings. The southern kingdom had a few good ones, a few mixed ones, um, mostly bad. And the northern kingdom is about to come to an end because of their idolatry. The southern kingdom will be taken captive here in just a few chapters. If that whole thing doesn't make sense to you, we have a little aid at the back 
Um, and you can grab that. You'll see it's like kind of a bookmark shape to put in your Bible. And you can track with all our sermons. They're by date. And on the back, it has like the king cheat sheet. All that to say, we've been having all these stories. And most of the stories through First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings have been fairly like mundane stories. This king does this, and this king does this, and God raises this person up. It's just normal workings of a political entity. But somehow God is weaving this and getting it to go exactly where it, he wants it to. Um, I was thinking a little bit this week about um, when I was a kid... There was this toy I remember, and I don't even remember. I, there were three of us that were boys, so we had every kind of car, every kind of driving. Every, you know, we had all of those. So one of us had a toy that was like a steering wheel, and it had a little horn and all that. And I remember at some point, and it may have been me, one been, may have been one of my brothers, I have no idea, had that in the car and was driving the car, right? They fully, and I am driving the car. They were not driving the car, right? They were driving their little plastic steering wheel, thinking they were deciding where we were going. My mom or dad was driving the car. That's kind of what's going on here. The kings think they're in charge, but God is, is steering and making this go where he wants. And we're going to see that again in this passage. But then kind of in the middle of this, as everything seems to be crumbling and falling apart, these two dudes pop up, Elijah and Elisha, all right, they're very confusing. How do we, kids, how do we know which one comes first? Alphabetical order. Thank you, Elizabeth. We've been talking about that in Sunday school, all right? We, we, it's alphabetical order on these two, all right? Elijah's first and Elisha. Their ministries parallel. One helps a widow with oil. Another helps a widow with oil. One raises a, a widow's son. The other raises a um, rich woman's son. There's all these, like it kind of bounces back and forth. They look a lot the same. But all of a sudden, in the midst of this story about these crazy kings, there are tons of miracles. Miracle after miracle after miracle. Today, we're going to go through, you'll, we'll walk through the two chapters, and there is, there's, a, there's almost as many miracles in these two chapters as there are the book of John. And, and so there's this sudden uptick of miracles. This happens three times in Scripture, all right? I, I told you, I promise I'm going to get there, all right? We will get there, all right? We're eventually going to get to 2 Kings chapter 3, but three times. Um, you might say four, five if you count creation and Christ's return, but, but through the majority of Scripture, we have Moses. Y'all remember the story of Moses? God's people are captive. They're, they're slaves in Egypt. God sends Moses who does all these miracles. There's the ten plagues. We've got you know, TV shows that are horribly done all about that. And there's all these miracles. It's miracle after miracle after miracle. And then we skip. And there's, not, there's a miracle here or there, but not too many. Till we get to Elijah and Elisha. Bunches of miracles. And then we skip. And there's a miracle here, miracle there. But not too much until we hit Jesus and the first apostles, the beginning of the church. And then there's bunches of miracles, more than the whole rest of the Bible. And, and so what I want to do is pull back just a little bit. Rather than get bogged down in kings and all that, I'm not even going to bother with the names of the kings in this thing, all right? I want us to focus on what is the Bible principle? What, what does the Bible say about miracles? Should you expect God to do a miracle today? What is a miracle? Should you pray for miracles? 
What happens in our hearts? This this is really where the, the rubber hits the road. What happens in our heart when we know God can raise the dead and heal the sick, but our family member doesn't get better? How do we deal with all these issues? And so what we're going to do is we're going to take this chunk of Scripture. I'm going to summarize part of it. We're going to read a couple of these miracles. And then we're going to talk about the big principles in the Bible of of what are miracles and what should we know about that. And then today, how does that hit us? When we read about this, and and there may be some emotions and feelings, I don't know about that one. Uh, let's, let's be honest. Some of the feelings are of doubt. Maybe you're here exploring Christianity and you're like, I don't buy that. I want to talk to you a little bit. But maybe you're here and you are a believer and you've been the one praying for so long for the miracle. And we're starting to doubt a little of who God is. So let's talk through 1 Kings chapter 3 and 4 and then we'll kind of summarize almost the whole scripture as the text for today. But if you have a Bible, um, open it to 2 Kings chapter 4. We're going to actually start reading there. I'm going to summarize a little bit first. Um, If you don't have a Bible, please feel free to grab one of those black ones in the chair backs there. Uh, Jeff will have text up there, page 308, anytime you want to use that. And certainly welcome to keep that if you don't have a Bible, you can read at home. But here's what's going on. We're going to kind of walk through this really quick. Chapter 3, I'm going to start, I'll get us into chapter 4. So chapter 3, 1 through 8, the king of Israel, northern kingdom, evil dude, decides to form a coalition against the king of Moab. So this is very mundane political maneuvering, all right? The reason he's mad is Moab won't pay them tribute. They used to pay tribute to his dad, now little, you know, little Johnny, the new king, they won't pay tribute to him. So he gets mad. Israel joins with the northern kingdom. He gets the southern kingdom. They get together and then they form another alliance with the kingdom of Eden that just doesn't like Moab. And they all three are going to march out and go rip up Moab. So they march down to Moab. They don't have enough water. Three armies, they run out of water. It's a desert area. Think modern day Jordan, all right? We're talking dirt. It's not, they can't even, you know, they don't even have sand there. It's just dirt. All right. And there's a drought. They have no idea what they're going to do. And so they say, let's pray to the gods. And so they pray to all their idols. There's no rain. Then the king of the southern kingdom, Jehoshaphat, who is a good king, he loves God. He's like, wait a minute, y'all praying to the wrong gods. Go call a real prophet. Elisha steps up and says, what do you want? So this is not a miracle. There's nothing magic happening. These are just politics going on. And all this is forming together. Then in verses 8 through 20, God does perform a miracle. So there's prayer. Elisha prays for water. And water comes. It comes basically rushing down from another place. So it doesn't rain there. So nobody knows it's rain. Nobody knows these people have water. And the water rushes down an old dry creek bed. Everybody has water. So there is a miracle. Elisha prays. It happens right then. But then in 21 through 26, this is the actual battle part. There's not a miracle that happens. But it's amazing how God worked all this out. 
You see, the king of Moab is looking out. He's on a high point. He sees these three encampments, and he sees that that water has flowed down through that stream. But he knows it's a drought. There's no water, so that couldn't possibly be water. And the dirt there is red. I'm talking Oklahoma red dirt. And so what he thinks has happened is that they've started infighting amongst themselves. And then that's blood. Red and wet? Why not? There's no rain. Couldn't have been water. He thinks they've fought amongst themselves. And so he has this brilliant strategy copied, you know, in U.S. warfare by a guy named Custer. Charge! And they just go running in. No plan, no organization. And of course, everybody there thinks, what, what, what are these guys doing? Form up and attack and are just routing Moab. They're destroying them. Moab retreats. They come into this castle and they're just going to get destroyed. So the king, in a last desperate act, sacrifices his son. He hangs his son on the city wall and lights him on fire. It just weirds everybody out. And Israel, the southern kingdom, and Edom go home. So God has provided victory for his people. Not through a miracle, through the dude thinking that was blood when it was water and being an idiot strategist. But he's also prevented a slaughter. That was the plan. By this whacked king killing his own son in a very graphic way. God's working and moving and and twisting and, and manipulating all this stuff to get exactly how it needs to go. Then look with me, First, or Second Kings chapter 4. We're going to read a, a parallel. If you remember, Elijah has helped a poor widow have oil and flour to eat in a drought. Chapter 4, verse 1. Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets, that means uh, this is the wife of a prophet. Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord, but the creditors have come to take away my two children and be his slaves. So this is modern equivalent of a pastor's widow. Owes money and the creditors are coming. They're going to enslave her children. She's begging. What do I do? God has abandoned us. What has happened? Um, by the way, if anyone's interested in that, there are, that's a real thing. No slaves, thankful anymore. But there are lots of pastors, widows out there um, who possibly due to some poor planning, but possibly just due to need, who do need help. And there's an organization that would love um, to do that called Operation Dignity. I know the man who runs it, godly, godly man. Uh, If any of you are interested in that, there is options to help that. That That's bonus. No extra charge for that in the sermon. Um, Verse 2. And Elijah said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in your house? And she said, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels and not too few. Verse 4, then go in and shut the door behind you and your sons and pour in all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So she went from him, shut the door behind her and her sons. And as she poured, they brought vessels to her. And when the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. And she came and told the man of God. And he said, 
Go sell the oil, pay your debts. You and your sons can live on in rest. So God performs this miracle of multiplying an object. He, he breaks the normal laws. I mean, we could talk about the first law of thermodynamics. Nothing's created. Nothing just pops into existence. But with God, he can say there and it is there. He can say earth and there's an earth created. He can say stars and stars exist. He can say oil and it exists. And he, by a miracle pays this woman's bills. You, you catch how mundane the miracle was? Like, this is not like, you know, fireworks going off and people cheering in the background. This woman needs her bills paid. And God multiplies what probably olive oil, enough that she can sell it, pay her bills. But God works in a miraculous way to take care of this woman. Let's keep going. We're going to read, um, keep reading here. Verse 8. Then one day, Elisha went on to Shunem. That's an area around there. Where a wealthy woman lived who urged him to eat some food. She was just a nice lady. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there and eat food. And she said to her husband, Behold, now I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed, a table, a chair, a lamp, so that whatever, whenever he comes to see us, he can go in there. So how did God provide for the means of Elisha? A sweet, rich lady. No miracle. No, you know, no bells and whistles. No, you know. God just took care of him. This lady had money. She had conviction to take care of God's prophet, and she did. Let's keep going. Verse 11. One day he came there, and he turned into the chamber and rested there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant. Okay, new person here, Gehazi. That is how you say it. Weird name I know. He gets real important later. Guy's a turkey, all right? We don't know that yet, so just, just that's a little preview for next week, all right? This dude's a mess, but he's Elijah's helper, all right? Gehazi. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, call the Shunammite. And when he called her, she stood before him, and he said to her, and, she, and he said to him, now say to her, see, you have taken all this trouble for us. What is to be done for you? Would you have a word spoken on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? And she answered, I dwell among my own people. In other words, I'm, I'm safe. Everything's good. Verse 14. And he said, what then is to be done for her? So he, he's kind of clueless here. All right. Elisha, godly dude, amazing preacher. God used him to work miracles. Has no clue what's, what's going on with it. It's like me. No touch with reality here. All right. And so he, he, he talks to his servant. What should we do for this poor or this rich woman who has everything in the world except a son? That's basically the statement he makes. Gehazi answered, well, she has no son, and her husband is old. He said, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway, and he said, at this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, O oh man of God, do not lie to your servant. She, she's been so hurt in her heart by barrenness. She can't even bear the, the promise. I, did, I can't even take it because it might not be true. 
verse 17. Excuse me, verse 16. And he said, at this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. She said, no, my Lord, O man of God, do not lie to your servant. Verse 17. But the woman conceived, and she bore a son about that time the following spring, as Elijah had said to her. Isn't that an awesome story? God healing hearts takes care of her, gives her the one thing she didn't have and the money couldn't buy, performs this miracle on this barren woman. Then the next story, it's a little bit longer. We're not going to read the whole thing. Same family, this, this Shunammite woman, rich woman. She's got her one son. When he's young, he's, he's little enough he can fit on her lap. All right, so when, however big that is. He goes out to the field with daddy, and he's working out there, and he says, I have a headache. Okay, this is, this is the line of every child under the age of 15, right? I have a headache. I want to go inside. Sends him inside. Normal kind of thing. The mom's holding him, and suddenly the child dies. So this horrible thing has happened. She, she has gotten her heartstrings all twisted, and she just is brokenhearted. This woman actually turned to God and knew right who to go to at that moment. So she actually takes the child up, puts him in this little room where Elisha stays, and grabs a servant, a donkey, and they just take off in a beeline for Elisha. She doesn't even tell anybody what's going on. She finds him, and Gehazi comes up. What's going on? What, is there a problem? And she said, I just need to talk to Elisha. She does, and she just falls down and grabs his feet and starts weeping. Gehazi starts to pull her away, and Elisha says, no, 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 there's something going on. She's in great distress. Leave her. There's great compassion for this lady. She tells him what happened. He sends Gehazi with his staff. Remember Moses, the staff, it's kind of like all the source of miracles. He dips it in the Red Sea. The Red Sea splits, all that kind of stuff. Throws it down. It becomes a snake. Picks it back up. It's, it's the staff again. So Gehazi runs with Elisha's staff. And he's supposed to set it on the boy. And Elisha stays there. And he tells the woman to go on home. And the woman says, I am not leaving you. My son's too precious to me. I, I know you sent the stab, but you've you got to see this through. And so the two of them walk together. Gehazi, at this point, is coming back from putting the staff on him. and said, didn't do anything. Elisha goes up, shuts the door, prays over this young man says he was so intense that he actually left the room, shuts the room, paces around the house. He's, he's just distraught. He's begging God for healing. He goes up, and just like Elijah did with a widow's child, he puts himself over the child, and the child comes back to life. Miraculously. God resurrects a dead kid. And there's great joy. Then after this, Elisha apparently finds a place to live, has a bunch of his buddies over. This is like the pastor's gathering. And you know there's going to be one thing at any gathering with a bunch of pastors, right? Fried chicken, right? No, uh, food, lots and lots of food. So Elisha says, go make a stew. And it's funny how the Bible puts it. It says, this one went out. They don't even tell his name for the protection of the guilty, all right? So he goes out, and he's supposed to get spices out of the garden, and he sees some gourds growing. He, it says he fills his laps, grabs his shirt. You know, I, I actually did this last night. I was kind of laughing without thinking about it. was picking jalapenos and um, 
Let's just fill in my shirt because I had more than I was ready. And so he fills his shirt with this thing, comes up, chops them, puts them in the stew. They're poisonous. So everybody, they serve the stew. Everybody's got their bowls. They're ready to eat. And they, whoa, what is this stuff? And they go to Elijah, what are you feeding us? There's poison in the stew. And Elisha, I, this is just, I, only, only God would do this. Throw some flour in it. It's poison. Yeah, thicken it. I don't like thin stew. They throw flour in the stew, serve it up. It's great. No problem at all. God miraculously provides for a bunch of pastors as they're sitting around. It's amazing what God does. There's, there's actually even another miracle in here. It's amazing what God does. But what I want to do is, is pull together, not just this, that miracles are doing something. There, there's a purpose to all of these, what might seem like random stories. They're not. We could certainly learn something from each of them about God's provision, God's love for people, God's love for hurting, broken people. Isn't it interesting that God heals and resurrects the child of both a widow, very, very poor, had nothing, no resources, God raises her son. But also the rich woman who had everything, but her heart's broken for a son. God, God does so much. But I want us to pull back, zoom out. We got lots of miracles, more miracles that we're kind of zoom in on later and find three principles about what God does throughout the Bible with miracles. So the first one, there's notes there in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along. Miracles confirm God's man. Miracles confirm God's man. So we see three times in Scripture this very, very clearly happening. The first one is with Moses. Moses is a murderer He's outcast, he, he's run off so he doesn't get put in prison or killed. And God speaks to him and says, go back and tell them, I'm going to lead you guys out. God sent me. Now, if somebody comes up to you and says, God sent me to tell you something, this is about the moment you treat them like a telemarketer, okay? That, that is the normal rule. Right? Nope. <laughs> Don't even say yes, right? That, that, that's the new rule. Just hang up. But then Moses throws down his staff, and it becomes a snake. But whoa, whoa, wait a minute. This may, might not be nuts. And God uses miracle after miracle to confirm that he was speaking through Moses. Moses was his dude. Moses was the guy that was going to lead them out. And we see the same thing with Elijah and Elisha. The kings, we don't want to listen to this. You are crazy. You are, the, Ahab calls him a troubler of Israel. You're just nothing but problems. And Elijah says, God, send down fire from heaven. And God does. Elisha, in these passages, the woman says, don't lie to me. You can't be telling the truth with this crazy stuff. And God sends a miracle and makes the barren woman have a child. And then when that child dies, raises him back up. God confirmed his man. His man to speak 
what God had to say. His man to call people to repent. But we see this most clearly in the person of Jesus. Did you catch what happened when Joe read about this miracle where Jesus turns water into wine? Did you catch at the end? At this point, his disciples believed him. Even guys who were following, the 12 disciples, all right, the, the, the dudes who were supposed to be leading the church, they were going to become the apostles, they were following Jesus around already at this point, and they really don't trust him. Till that moment he does that first miracle. It's like, oh. Muhammad Ali once said, it ain't bragging if you can do it. Still bragging. Not a true statement. But with Jesus, it ain't the real thing till you can do it. And he did it. Over and over and over. One of the, some people question, was Jesus really God become a human? Yes. Who else can raise the dead? Yes. Who else can go up to someone, put his hand over their eyes, and they've been blind their entire life, and they see? Who else can take a couple fish and a couple dinner rolls and feed 5,000 people with it? God was confirming that Jesus was his man. He was the man, to use our expression. He was the guy. Whenever we want to know who should we listen to, who really has the authority here, it's Jesus. He is the guy, and God proved it over and over and over with the miracles that Christ performed. Second thing, miracles not only confirm God's man, they confirm God's word. Miracles confirm God's word. Note kind of what happens, these, these three circumstances. The first one is Moses. The second one, Elijah and Elisha, who were the first of the prophets. And then Jesus. Look what happens in those three times, what, the, the kind of the remnant, what we have for, out of that. Anybody remember the other name, kind of the nickname for the first five books of the Bible? The books of Moses. The books of Moses. God was saying, this is my guy. Listen to what he says because it's my words. Every time somebody says to you, God told me so. Makes me nervous. Probably he didn't. Unless you happen to be reading the Bible. But if somebody says, God told me so. And then heals 10 lepers, feeds 5,000 people with, you know, some lunch scraps, raises people from the dead a few times, walks on water. Yeah, I think God did tell you so. (laughs) Believe God's word. It's confirmed by the miracles. Moses' words were confirmed by the miracles God did. That's why we can believe Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The prophets who were coming, Elijah and Elisha, we don't, unless they happen to write First and Second Kings, which it doesn't tell us that they did, 
But the prophets that came after them, that were confirmed by these miracles, wrote down most of the rest of the Old Testament. And so we can know that's the Bible because God showed us, yep, this is it. I'm ready to do it this way. These are the guys. They're going to write down my words. Listen. And then the same thing again with Jesus, as we've already talked. God confirms his word with miracles. Third thing, miracles are a preview of God's kingdom. So this, this is a little more, not quite as concrete, so, so track with me here a little bit. We're going to go again, big picture of Scripture. God creates, the first miracle in the Bible, God creates the heavens and the earth. He makes everything we see. And one of the things that's said over and over and over in that passage is God made this and, it wa- and He saw it was good. So He makes the earth. He sees it's good. He makes the stars. He sees they're good. He makes day and night and animals and seas and critters that go all over that stuff. And He says, this is good. The only time in this account that something's not good and when there's just Adam, he says, no, you need a helper fit right to you. And he creates a woman. He, he creates his highest creation, humankind. And God says, it's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. Adam and Eve were perfectly happy. It says they walked in the cool of the evening with God. Can you imagine that? It's been hot, right? I, I don't know what's wrong. We should have taken the pastoral prayer for pray for some cooler temperatures. I mean, it's been hot. But thankfully, it's been cooling at night, right? I went out last night, take the dog out, went and checked everything out, just made sure the yard was okay. I did, did done some yard work, and I thought, I really put everything up. So I'm walking around, and it was just this refreshing breeze after the sun had set. The stars out, it was just gorgeous. Heard the trees kind of whooshing in the wind. Can you imagine that feeling, that that goodness of walking around and God being right with you? No judgment, no guilt, no shame, no worry. Well, what? All those questions you have, you just ask. That's what it was like. There was no cancer. There was no sickness. There was no fighting. There were no family squabbles. There was no marital trouble. There was no confusion about how to parent. There was no mean kids at school. No mass shootings. No worries. (laughs) No politics. Everything was good and right. And then sin enters the world and everything breaks. People get sick. We stump our toes. Work is hard. People fight. And then people get together in big groups and they really fight. And everything seems wrong with the world. And God keeps promising, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to fix it. But my garage door still broke. (laughs) And I know he says he's going to fix it, but why does everything keep breaking? Why wouldn't my weed eater start yesterday after the garage door broke? Why won't the arthritis get better? 
Why won't that child stop the direction they're going? We have all these hurts. And it doesn't make sense. And God keeps saying, I'm going to make it right. And miracles all through the Bible are, are this little like pulling back of the fabric of the universe so we can see what things really are. When you can't figure out how to pay that bill and you don't know why and things aren't right. Read the scriptures. Read the miracles of Jesus. Read these miracles and see God is giving us just this little snapshot. This this little picture of what it's going to be like when all the bills are paid. Remember the widow? He gives us this little snapshot of when the child who dies is resurrected and and eventually won't even die in the first place. Where no one's heart is grieved where they can't have the child. When you're hanging out with your buddies and there's plenty of food to eat. So simple as that. Do, Do you catch the miracle here? A bunch of dudes hanging out. They were God's preachers of the day. They had plenty of food to eat. What a little thing. But what a big deal that God's pointing us to. See, miracles point us to God's kingdom. They they, they preview what's going to happen. And this is where we get into trouble. You see, we pray for a miracle. Heal the cancer. And sometimes God does. Most of the time, the person goes to the doctor and gets chemo, radiation, immunotherapy, all all the stuff we could talk about. And they're sick and they lose their hair. And maybe they make it and maybe they don't. That doesn't feel good. Why didn't God do the miracle? Maybe it's the addiction that you keep asking God to take away. Maybe it's the broken relationship that you just so want to be healed. Why not? And and so we, in our brilliance, in our just little tiny slice of time of 70 years in the course of eternity, think we know what God ought to do. And He ought to do it on our timing and our way but miracles aren't god's cosmic vending machine miracles are god's way of confirming god's man of confirming god's word and it's giving us a preview of what's to come i I remember and i confess i did it one time back when um they were re-releasing the original three star wars They had trailers for them at the beginning of movies, right? I remember going to a movie that I did not care the slightest about just to watch the preview of the Star Wars trailer. I was a teenager, college student, I was dumb. Spent money for stupid things. But I wanted to see that preview so bad because it was better than the movie. That's when a miracle is. It's, 
It's going to be like that. And it's going to be good. But we've got to wait for the time. So brothers and sisters, let me encourage you to be patient and wait. I have a few applications for us. The first one, pray for miracles. Pray for miracles. God still, there's no passage in the Bible that says God won't do miracles. It, it's just not there. Again, even in the Bible, there's really three times over about 3,000 years that it happened. But pray for miracles. But here's what we do. When we pray for miracles, we expect God's good providence. Did God always work a miracle in even these passages? He didn't. The the big war, the war, was it a miracle? No, it was an idiot (laughs) who looks at that, thinks that's blood. That wasn't blood, that was water. And makes a horrible strategic decision that protects God's people and gives them victory. No miracle. But God's hand was all the way at work. I look back and there are so many times I prayed for this or that to happen. And God didn't do it. Now I'm so grateful. You have those moments in your life? We thought, I think God, you should do this. And he's just crafting and working his way. So let me encourage you, brother or sister. If you've been praying for the miracle and God hasn't done what you've asked in your way, be patient. One, he might. But two, maybe he's crafting your heart to look more like Jesus through this suffering. Maybe he's calling you to trust him in joy what he provides maybe he's using you to encourage others to follow him through difficult times pray for miracles but expect god's good providence all right number two very closely associated don't think god is not at work because there's not a miracle you know sometimes we call things miracles that really aren't you know um i I think of a meme i just saw uh, hallmark releasing uh, a horrible evil number of new christmas movies this year right it's like 50 or six, ridiculous all right and, and let me tell you he loses his wife she loses her husband they get married right before christmas done you're good same actors anyway but i saw a meme not bitter or anything um i saw a meme on facebook that had the 60 or whatever hallmark christmas movies it's a Christmas miracle. What's at the bottom? No. <laughs> it's cheap movie making for lots of money. Be careful what we call miracles. But don't think just because there's a miracle, not a miracle, God's not at work. We have a dear friend we got to see. She's a um, junior in high school. I met her when she was two. She had neuroblastoma cancer. She nearly died. The doctors, uh, you have to do um, bone marrow transplants for that. So the way that goes through is they knock out all your bone marrow with chemo. It's a horrible process. 
and then they inject the new bone marrow. When they did this, they weighed her improperly. Somebody made a mistake. They made her dose too high, and she got way too much chemo. Nearly killed her. Because of that, she's one of the healthiest survivors of neuroblastoma ever. Because it knocked out the cancer. Nearly killed her. It wasn't a miracle, but God was at work through the mistake of some doctor, nurse, something, somebody typing, who knows? And he saved this little girl's life, and she's a healthy young woman who loves Jesus today. God was at work. God didn't give her mama and daddy the miracle they were praying for. I met my wife through that little girl. He did so much more. Now, in Romania, they actually are starting children's hospitals. And American hospitals send folks over there all the time to do child life, to actually do school for kids in Romania who are in the hospital. He didn't do a miracle, but he was at work. Don't doubt the work of God just because the lightning doesn't drop and thunder roll and, and, you know, arrows and bows and whistles go off and all this stuff. God is at work. Trust Him. Third thing. I told you I wanted to talk to my friends who maybe aren't convinced yet about Christianity. Miracles may present a challenge to you. I can't believe that. I can't see it. I can't touch it. I can't test it in a laboratory. Let me encourage you to go about it this way. Consider the resurrection of Jesus. Paul says it this way. If Jesus raised from the dead, if a guy says, I'm going to die, be buried three days, and then get up, and he does it, you should probably trust Christianity. If he says, I'm going to die, be buried, raised in three days, and doesn't, Christianity is worthless. So let me challenge you to focus on the resurrection of Christ. There's some great resources out there. I have them listed there at the bottom of that insert. Um, Case for Christ. There's several others. But read that. Read that. Um, Consider Christ. And maybe if you do... You'll see exactly the purpose of miracles. To confirm God's man. And you'll see it's Jesus. And you need to trust Him. Repent of your sins. Turn to Him instead of working to be good and get God's favor. That you'll trust Christ has already earned God's favor for you. Paid for your sins. Rose from the dead. And so now He will hear your prayer when you turn to Him. So let me encourage you to do just that. Consider the resurrection. The final thing. For everybody. Trust in God's man. Through God's word and hope in his coming kingdom. Too many of us, and I, this, this is where it hit me. Too many of us spend our time worried about the things that we can touch, see, smell, eat. We spend too little time realizing that this place is broke.
but your mom, your dad, your sister, it's going to get sick. And it's going to mean way more than all that other stuff. Too many times we try to get all this stuff that's one house fire away from being ash. We're not thinking about what is real. What is even more real than the stuff we can see, than the laws of nature, or however we want to call it, science, that God works. And he's pointing all of this to something in the future where he fixes it all. Jesus has a plan. He's going to execute the plan. We need to trust in him to do it. And wait patiently as he does. We're going to sing one more song. I want us to think through that. I'll be around. Pastor Joe will be around. Elder Jeff's there in the back. You can grab dude on the base as the other elder Jeff. There are several ladies. Somebody you came with. If you need to talk some more, do it. Maybe your heart's just hurting. Maybe this hit home of I've been the one praying for the miracle that God hasn't given. Grab somebody you came with, somebody on your own, and just weep with them a little bit and pray. You know you're allowed to do that, right? To get real with God even right now. We would love to pray with you, but let me challenge you, particularly if you don't know Christ, consider Him. Consider the resurrection. And I know that we would love to talk with you, maybe give you some more resources about that. Let's pray, and then we'll stand and sing. Father, thank you for giving miracles. But even more so, thank you for giving Jesus Christ, your very Son, the God-man, who died for our sins, rose again, and will live forevermore. And Jesus, we praise you because someday you're coming back. And help us to be more focused on that than the elections next year, and the bills, and the sickness, and everything else. Lord, as so many Christians have prayed for so many millennia, come quickly, Lord. Come quickly, Lord. It's because of you we pray. Amen.